Unleavened Bread Ministries presents From your hands, your feet, your Unleavened Bread Bible Studies with David Eels. Concerning this, 
Anyway, I just want to take a moment to say that. I'm going to say something else, too. You know, the Bible says, you know, the brethren who share these things, sometimes they wonder if God just forgot about them, left them, or were they deceived or whatever. You know, let me read this to you. He said, this is Jonah chapter 4, verse 1. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. Why was that? Well, he had prophesied in yet 40 days, and Nineveh would be overthrown, and and yet God had mercy when the people cried out to him. He had mercy. And it displeased Jonah exceedingly. He was angry, because now he was going to look like a false prophet. And he prayed unto the Lord and said, I pray thee, O Lord, um, was not this my saying when I was yet in my country? Therefore I hastened to flee unto Tarshish, for I knew that thou art a gracious God and merciful and slow to anger and abundant loving kindness and repentest thee of the evil. Therefore now, O Lord, take, I beseech thee, my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. You know, Jonah just didn't really want to face the world. You know, he felt like the Lord had let him down. He prophesied this, but but then he knew that God was merciful, and if he did, that he would repent. That's what he said. Well, God reminded him of something that's really a lot more important than his pride. Verse 11. Should not I have regard for Nineveh, that great city, wherein are more than six score thousand persons that cannot discern between their right hand and their left hand, and also much cattle. God was even having mercy on the cattle. Can you imagine? So he was trying to get Jonah's mind back on the real problem. The real situation wasn't that he was going to look like a false prophet, but that through this, God was going to have mercy on these people. That's the thing we've got to keep in mind, folks. You know, we've been put here to be of no reputation anyway, according to the Scriptures, you know. And um, we're supposed to have the same mind as Christ. We've come here to... Uh, actually lose our reputation in the eyes of the world. Well, anyway, I want to go on and uh, talk about the wilderness, which is what we've been doing. You know, the wilderness, we discovered, was like it was for Israel. It was a place of weakness, a place where the world couldn't supply the needs of God's people. It was a place of hopelessness for the flesh because the flesh really couldn't help God. You know what the church has been doing for so long is um, God helps them that help themselves, so to speak. That's their doctrine. And God doesn't like that. He, he, uh, it's, a, it's a stench in his nostrils, actually. Uh, we're saved by grace, and not by our works, not by our efforts, not by our wisdom. We're saved by his works, his efforts, and his wisdom, which has been accomplished at the cross. The Lord actually already accomplished everything for us. He supplied our needs. At the cross, my God shall supply your every need according to his riches and glory. And uh, so God doesn't appreciate that the church is preaching salvation by works so much. Uh, he said his power is made perfect in weakness. And uh, I thought maybe I would share some a little bit with you about the difference between assurance and insurance. Because this is part of my wilderness. It's been part of my wilderness. Okay? And, um, you know, uh, frankly, folks, a lot of people have their trust in an idol. It is the insurance that they think they've insulated themselves from anything that, bad that could come from this world. But it's going to fail because every idol that you stand up next to the Lord, 
kind of like Dagon, right, will fall over and be crushed. And God is going to judge all the idols of Egypt. They'll all fail. Even now, folks, people are beginning to see that these insurance companies are not going to be able to save America. Look, we've had, uh, where I am in Florida, um, there's a lot of insurance companies have left the state because they don't want any more of what the Lord is dishing out over here. They've left the state. They've been leaving the state. Getting out of the business in Florida. Well, it, God's not through with just Florida. He's going to move around the United States. He's going to hit big sin cities all around the United States with one form of judgment or another in the next few years. He's going to continue to do this. And I can tell you, there ain't enough insurance companies in the world to save America. Now, pretty soon, there's going to be so, pe- so many people without insurance they're going to have to back off of some of the laws, I'm going to tell you right now. Um, and the the system is going to be so tied up with lawyers in their litigation that there's going to be so much confusion, the system's just going to break down, folks. Just going to break down. Everybody demanding their ounce of flesh and not forgiving and not turning the other cheek, not obeying the Lord's laws. Uh, it's just going to all break down. You know, I I want to ask you, if you're interested in um, my wilderness experiences and, and uh, teachings from the Bible, I want to ask you, if you haven't done it already, to get our book, Sovereign God, For Us and Through Us. Sovereign God, For Us. He is sovereign for us, and he wants to be sovereign through us. He wants to administer his authority in this earth through his people. I want you to get my book. Uh, you can go to our site. AmericasLastDays.com, and it's on there. Either you can um, you can read it as an ebook free, or you can uh, get it uh, for free. But I want you to get the book. Matter of fact, I thought I would advertise my book just a little bit today. I don't do any of that, but what I wanted to do, I I, I have a chapter here. So I think it's the shortest one in the book, and I want to read part of it to you. Okay, uh, this is chapter eighteen. This, this book's like 325 pages or something like that. I don't know. Uh, chapter 18 is Usherance versus Insurance. Let me read this to you. Maybe it'll, be, maybe it'll give you um, a desire to read the rest of the book. There's a lot of good things here. It's really delivering a lot of people. We get testimonies every day of people that are getting delivered, you know, uh, by this book and, and empowered by God and just enjoying the Lord, you know. Well, let me read this to you. It says, For thou, Lord, art my refuge. Psalm 91, verse 9. Thou, Lord, art my refuge. Listen, this confession of faith and the deliverance that comes of it is merely acting on what the Word says. I received a revelation years ago in Louisiana before it was a law to have any form of auto insurance. And um, I want to share that revelation with you. The Lord began spiritually to reason with me. It occurred to me that God is sovereign over what we call accidents. Now, we're always insulating ourselves with insurance, but there is really no such thing as an accident, is there? Back to my book. God is sovereign over what we call accidents. John 3 and 27 says, A man can receive nothing except it have been given him from heaven. That doesn't sound like there's accidents. It sounds like there is a sovereign God, right? Therefore, an accident 
could not come without God's sending it. Since he said that if we prayed believing we would receive, then I could ask him to keep my vehicles, and he would. I thought, why would I need insurance if I believed the assurance that's given in his word? Psalm 91 and verse 9. For thou, O Lord, art my refuge. This is a good confession. It brings a benefit. See, faith without works is dead, the Bible says. The good confession brings a benefit. Here's the other half of the verse. Thou hast made the Most High thy habitation. There shall no evil befall thee, neither shall any plague come nigh thy tent. I know a lot of folks don't believe this nor teach this nowadays, but it's the word of the Lord. Who are we to say otherwise? Verse 11, For he will give his angels charge over thee to keep thee in all thy ways. They shall bear thee up in their hands, lest thou dash thy foot against a stone. In other words, have an accident. Right? Notice that when we abide in Christ by faith, and hold fast this good confession of the promise of God, right? That the angels keep us from accidents. An exception to this can be a, a Job experience, you know, to show hidden faults, like in Job 32. Um, as in Job's case, God strictly control, controls the chastening and later restores what is taken. To Job was restored twice as much as what he had and without insurance. Notice that. God desires to be our security. You know, we don't need security in the world. We need our God to be our security. Psalm 119 and 22. It says, Be surety for thy servant for good. Surety is a Hebrew word. comes from the Hebrew word, which means to give or to be security. God is our security. Be surety for thy servant for good. Hebrews 7 and 22 says, By so much also hath Jesus become the surety of a better covenant. God and his promises are the believer's assurance of provision and protection. After seeing what the Lord was saying to me, I dropped my auto insurance. And then I called my life insurance man, and he came over. I told him that I would not need insurance anymore because God would be my assurance. Now, he was a good Lutheran man who sincerely tried to reason with this fanatic, but to no avail. The week after I did this, I was driving my Datsun station wagon, and I drove to a, a stop-and-go mart, which was right around the corner from my house, and I went in to shop. And while I was walking down an aisle, I heard a crash that literally shook the front store windows. Looking over the aisle, I stand up on my tiptoes, and I looked over the aisle, and I saw that my car had been in a wreck without me. And when I went out, I saw a heavy old Buick with its front end wrapped around the back corner of my Datsun station wagon. The driver had backed up the car just a foot or so, and when I walked out, he was staring at it, and I started staring at it, too. We were both speechless. We just really couldn't understand how this could happen, you know? Um, 
the hood and the grill and the bumper of this heavy old Buick were notched back about six inches as if it had hit a big oak tree. And here's the good part. That Datsun station wagon, which is like a tin box, you could dent it anywhere with an elbow. If you ran into it with a shopping cart, it would dent it. But this big old Buick didn't dent it. This tank hit my car on the left rear wraparound plastic tail ends. That's where it centered it, right there. The, literally, the point on the hood hit it right there on that plastic tail end. I reached out with my thumbnail, and I scraped a piece of paint from his hood off of that plastic tail lens, and we stood there for a moment just looking at this miracle. There wasn't a scratch or a dent or a crack on my car anywhere. Can you imagine? God is awesome. He made my wimpy car, which could have, should have been totaled, he made it invincible to this old tank of a car. The assurance of God saved me from my need for insurance. I mean, this was an awesome miracle. The man said, I think my brakes went out. And then he mumbled, they sure make them better than they used to. And I was thinking about how ludicrous that statement was, and I knew he didn't believe it anyway. And he got in his car, meanwhile, and he forgot why he came there. He got in his car and took off. And suddenly it hit me that I missed the best chance in the entire world to witness to someone. I jumped into my car, and I caught him at the next red light, where his brakes obviously had stopped him. Uh, I grabbed some tracks out of the glove box, and I hurried to his door before the, the light turned green. I said, sir, that was a miracle. And he said, it had to be. That's what he said. It had to be. I said, I didn't have any insurance on my car, and I was trusting God to keep it. And he did. And about that time, the light turned green, and, and we parted company. But since that, I have never had any insurance that covers our family, our vehicles, or, or home, other than what the law demands. Now, we're in the state we're in now. They demand PIP and PD, and PIP, of course, covers our injuries, and PD would cover the other guy's vehicle, but nothing to cover our vehicles. That first wreck, or lack thereof, was an awesome testimony. But we didn't plunder Egypt as we did with some later wrecks that we got into. That was a long time ago. We got into a few wrecks since then. Since then... God has not always protected our vehicles or our bodies, but in every case, it was to our advantage. See, when you're trusting in the Lord, he's working all things for your good. Sometimes you don't understand how it's for your good, but he can. He will make it work for your good. For he, every time he healed our bodies and, and he blessed us financially through this. During this time, even though we never sued anybody, uh, the other guy's insurance always blessed us with money. In fact, we were blessed with the following. We were blessed to repair a motorcycle. I'll, I'll share some more about this with you a little later. Uh, with money left over in my pocket for a new one, we were blessed to repair a Toyota pickup that needed painting anyway, and I ended up 
after fixing the pickup, painting it with a beautiful paint job, with $1,500 in my pocket. We were blessed to buy two cars, one new, uh, and to buy our home. I mean, all that came because we didn't have insurance. It all came from the other guy's insurance. Again, we sued nobody. Uh, we were blessed uh, to enable to us to buy and give cars to others and enable to give um, our home away and to buy a travel trailer for a homeless woman and her son. All that is directly related to us not having insurance and God making sure that we plundered Egypt and uh, that insurance money blessed us. Listen, if you obey God, you can't lose, folks. If you obey God and walk by faith in Him and, and let His assurance be your insurance and not the world, then you'll see the miracles of God. Besides all that and more, we have not spent God's money on many years' worth of insurance. I can hear somebody say, but, but Dave, what if, you know, in my, and what I wrote here in my book is, what if what? God Almighty fell off of his throne? See, God made these promises. We're just dependent upon him, right? Romans 10 and 11 says, For the scripture says, Whosoever believeth on him shall not be put to shame. Whosoever believeth on him shall not. You see, the devil tells you that you will be put to shame. But that's a lie. Jeremiah 17 and 7 says, Blessed is the man that trusteth in the Lord, and whose Lord and whose trust the Lord is. Blessed is the man. By the grace of God, it has been almost, in my book I write 18 years, but actually it's been a bit more like 23 years since we've had a wreck. Praise be to God. So God can keep you from wrecks, but when you do get into them, he can make them bless you, you know. One day in that same Datsun station wagon, I was driving along rather frustrated because I had had three flats on relatively new tires. Now, most people would be complaining to the manufacturer but I believed that God was in control. So I was complaining to the Lord. Uh, a little frustrated, I said, Lord, can't you keep my tires? He said to me very clearly, I heard him very clearly. He said, don't you believe that I can keep your tires? I replied in my ignorance, yes, I believe that you can keep them. He replied, then why do you keep putting that spare back there? To be honest, I put the spare in the trunk because it was a traditional thing to do, and I had not questioned it. But also, the underlying reason was in case God didn't keep my tires. <laughs> well, I'm not trying to make a new doctrine on, on spares, nor am I trying to be legalistic about this thing. God was just sharing a lesson with me, right? So I'm sharing what the Lord taught me in this, okay? Because of fear and unbelief, we try to insulate ourselves from any possibility of lack, loss, or threat. Since we're trusting in insurances besides the Lord, we usually end up needing them. This is what people don't understand. If you trust in something besides the Lord, you end up having to use it. Of course, some people say, aha, you see, I needed it. <laughs> but they've got it all backwards. When you trust in any idol besides the Lord, you're going to need it. Now, Jesus sent out his disciples in a way 
that would make them dependent upon living by faith. He sent them without their own provision, so that in their weakness, his power would be proven. In Matthew 10 and 9, he said, Get you no gold, nor silver, nor brass in your purses, no wallet for your journey, neither two coats, nor shoes, nor staff, for the laborer is worthy of his food. Later, Jesus went to see, uh, wanted to see, what they learned from this experience of depending upon God's supply. In Luke 22 and 35, he said unto them, When I sent you forth without a purse and a wallet and shoes, lacked you anything? And they said, Nothing. You see, some people say, Well, that's what Jesus said to the disciples. But you so you know, Jesus sent out his disciples and he commanded them to make disciples and teach them to observe everything that he commanded the first disciples. That was his demand. So in other words, what he spoke to them, he spoke to us. Of course, man came in there with religion and, and thwarted the whole mission that God sent us on. See, in the wilderness of man's supply, God's provision was evident. He sent them out without their own supply. He basically made a wilderness wherever these men went because basically they didn't bring enough out of Egypt with them to supply their needs. You know, God starts his work when we finish ours. His power is made perfect in our weakness. That's what he told Paul. And that was my experience with these tires. I threw out my spare, and I never had another flat on that car. And the neighbors who used to borrow my car quit because I would tell them, I said, look, if you're going to drive this car, you have to drive it by faith. <laughs> I, don't have a, I don't have a spare back there. Drive it by faith. Well, they... They quit borrowing my car. Another benefit, I guess. The moral of that story is if you prepare for a rainy day, it will come. With the next car, I had the same experience. No flats. And when I decided after many years to give it to a mission, I put the keys and the title into the hand of the pastor in my living room. We walked outside, and the car was sitting on a flat. I'd never had a flat. It was sitting on a flat. It was like it was out of my hands. I was the one walking by faith, and now it was his car. The key was in his hand, and it was sitting on a flat. Well, God had made his point to me, and I just inside just chuckled. I understood exactly what he was saying to me, you know. You know as long as I owned the car and put in my trust in him, there was never a flat. In other words, trusting in God takes away the need for insurances. Now, that was just a little thing, you know. And again, I'm not making any laws about this. I'm not condemning anybody for having affairs, uh, God was teaching me. He'll teach you the same way. He may use other methods, but he wants to teach us to walk in this wilderness. Wilderness, again, is a, a lack of man's provision. But in your weakness, God will be made strong. We'll read some more of this out of my book. It says, men serve insurance companies, HMOs, banks, and store up their treasures on earth for the security that they think it will give them. In Matthew 16 and 19, it says, Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon the earth where moth and rust consume and where thieves break through and steal. You know, Y2K revealed the paranoia and the lack of trust in those who stored up their treasures on earth contrary to the Lord's command. 
It was fear that causes people to do such things, folks. It's fear. But but God's power is made perfect in our weakness. Quite a few that I showed these principles to went home to give their storehouse away and found it full of bugs. Just as Jesus said, thieves break through and steal. Jesus told of a man who found peace in the insurance of storing up his goods in greater barns in Luke chapter 12, verse 18. He said to himself, Soul, thou hast, laid, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. That's the thinking of man, right? I've got all I need. This will keep me for a long time. Trust in it, right? His misplaced trust brought judgment. Verse 20. But God said unto him, Thou foolish one, this night is thy soul required. And literally in the Greek it says, This night they require thy soul of thee. And the things which thou hast prepared, who shall they be? So is he that layeth up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. Now what is rich towards God? Rich towards God is to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom. You know, didn't God choose them that are poor to the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom? Why is that? Because they have to trust in God. person who's poor to the world, they have to put their faith in God. That's what God did with the Israelites when he brought them into the wilderness. He made them poor to the world. But he expected them to put their faith in God. Notice that it was his stored up treasures that required his soul. Jesus promised the unfailing kingdom provisions to those who would store up their treasures in heaven by giving. Verse 32 says, Fear not, little flock, it's your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell that which you have, and give alms, and make for yourselves purses which wax not old. Which wax not old means not storing it up for a long time, right? He said, It's a treasure in the heavens that faileth not, where no thief draweth near, and neither moth destroyeth. As long as we're on this earth, we can draw on our heavenly bank account if we have deposited if we have deposited by giving to the needs of others. Give and it shall be given unto you. Good measure pressed down, shaken together and running over, shall men give into your bosom, the Bible says. If we have stored up on earth instead, the promise is that it will be stolen by thieves of one kind or another. Our heart will be on our treasures, falsely thinking them to be our security. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. God cannot lie, right? I'm told that Psalm 118 and 8 is the center verse in the Bible. And I'm sure that it is at least central to God's heart. It, is better to, it says it's better to take refuge in the Lord than to put confidence in man. Jeremiah 17 and 5 says, Thus saith the Lord, Cursed is the man that trusteth in man, and maketh flesh his arm, and whose heart departeth from the Lord. Folks, people are trusting in their insurances of many different kinds, in their insurance companies, but they're all going to fail. Everything is going to fail but God in the days ahead. Everything is going to fail but God. 
you know, as we can see, the insurances themselves bring the curse that they are thought to relieve. The man who stored up, it became his curse. It's what brought the curse upon him. God is offended. Not, I mean, he's not offended with the world doing this. He's offended with people doing these things. God's offended with those who call themselves believers, yet trust in man's strength and insurances. This is a heart that departs from the Lord. In Second Chronicles 16, 1-6, Asa, king of Judah, put his trust in the worldly king of Syria for insurance against his enemies. This offended God who sent judgment. Chapter 16, verse 7. And at that time, Hananiah the seer came to Asa, king of Judah. And he said unto him, Because thou hast relied on the king of Syria, and hast not relied on the Lord thy God, Therefore is the host of the king of Syria escaped out of thy hand. Were not the Ethiopians and the Lubim a great host, with chariots and horsemen exceedingly many? Yet because thou didst rely on the Lord, he delivered them into thy hand. Listen to this. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong, in behalf of them whose heart is perfect towards him. Herein thou hast done foolishly, for from henceforth thou shalt have wars. So God is eager to show signs and wonders to those who trust in him with a perfect heart. Obviously a perfect heart is not trusting in the world. You would think that Asa would have learned this lesson, but um, his trust in man actually cost him his life. And it does for, for many people, too. Verse 12 says, And in the 39th year of his reign, Asa was diseased in his feet. His disease was exceedingly great. Yet in his disease he sought not to the Lord, but to the physician. And Asa slept with his fathers. Now, Christians justify their misplaced trust in man's insurances, not realizing that this brings the judgment in the first place. A man named Melvin Jenkins and I were about to go to work on a large crude oil pump for Exxon. I worked there um, 20, about 23 years ago I worked there, and I, I had worked there for 20 years, and this was one of the men I worked with. The process department had blocked out this pump. They closed all the valves and blocked it out of line, and drained it, or so we thought. What we didn't know was that the pressure gauge read zero because it was broken. <laughs> and the drain valve, um, even though it was open, was stopped up, so that there was a little pressure still in the pump. We took the bolts out of the head plate to remove it, but it was stuck. The plate was just stuck to the gasket, okay? And I stood up and took about four steps away to get something to break it loose when I heard a pop sound. And I turned around to see Melvin drenched with black crude from head to foot. As he opened his eyes, he sarcastically looked at me and said, Dave, you did this to me. Well, I just couldn't contain myself. I just busted out laughing. 
the thought of me stepping away in the nick of time so that Melvin could get plastered was just too much for me. Attempting to sound serious, he said, Dave, you're never going to do this to me again. I said, Melvin, you'd better watch those self-confident statements. You know God is listening. Then he repeated his statement, and he said, bring me up to the shower house. I have a spare set of clothes up there. I said, oh, now I know why you got it instead of me. He said, why? I said, because I don't have a spare set of clothes, and God knows it. He looked at me kind of inquisitively, and I explained that planning for a catastrophe is the same as having faith for it. It also proves that you do not believe that God will protect or provide. Later that day, we were working on another pump, and Melvin was next to me as we used an impact gun to take off some bolts. And when he zipped one of the bolts off, suddenly Slurry squirted down one of the open bolt holes and hit Melvin right square in the middle of his chest, and it left me untouched. Slurry is a is is a very is a crude that will stain anything. You cannot get it out. I mean, if it gets on your clothes, just forget it. That's the color you you are. You know, in fact, it's that way on your skin. You know, it's just terribly staining. You know. And um, so this this uh, slurry squirted down the bolt hole, down the side of the threads, and hit him right in the chest. And he looked at me in, in unbelief. <laughs> and I kind of playfully said, Melvin, I told you, God doesn't like those self-confident statements. But we both knew that God was speaking in this, and we couldn't remember when this had happened to us before, much less twice in one day. You know... We, we really can only put our trust in the living God in the wilderness that's coming. Nothing else is going to work. You know, I can, you know, that particular Datsun station wagon that I was talking about, the Lord taught me so much with that vehicle. You know, I remember when I was about to buy a new car, and I said, God, which one? And I really kind of favored the, the Toyota. And I felt like it was a better car. But I always left things up to the Lord. I said, Lord, which one do you want me to buy, the Toyota or the Datsun? And I was surprised when the Lord said, I want you to get the Datsun station wagon. So I did. And you would think, you know, if the Lord um, told you to do something like that, it would be everything would be just fine, right? Because obviously the Lord's looking out for your good. Well, he was looking out for my good, but not in the way you think sometimes, you know. You know, I, I told you about the the tire story, but there were other things that went wrong with that car. And, um, see, sometimes God wants you to have trials. He wanted me to have trials, and he, he, he put it in my heart to buy this car. Well, it wasn't all that long after I bought the car that the the carburetor started acting erratic. And I, I have a, a mechanical background, and I was a pretty good machinist and a pretty good mechanic, and, and I knew the carburetor was was plugged up, but I also knew I didn't feel like tearing that carburetor down because, you know what, at that time, the most precious thing in my life was my time because I used every spare moment I had reading the Bible, studying the Word. I mean, I was just drawn hunger and thirsting for the Word, you know, and I knew I didn't want to tear that carburetor down, and, and so I just commanded that thing to be healed and kept on driving it. 
And, uh, you know, I, it, it went on like this, acting kind of erratic for a couple of weeks, and then I just kept on holding fast to my confession. You know, the Bible says, hold fast to confession of your hope that it waver not, because he's faithful to promise. So I just held on like this for a couple of weeks, and, um, you know, sometimes the Lord will try you, you know. You, you, just because you don't get the answer right away doesn't mean he hadn't heard you, you know. So I held on like this for a couple of weeks, and suddenly it started getting better and better and better until the problem was gone. But in a few more weeks, I was faced with another problem. This time, the transmission started slipping. Now, this was just crazy for a relatively new car to be doing things like this, you know. But um, I checked out transmission, the normal things you do, checked the filter and so on and so forth. Not the filter, excuse me. I checked the, the fluid, made sure it was the right level. And again, I knew that um, I didn't want to mess with that transmission. I didn't want to lose my car, take it to a shop, and I didn't want to work on it myself, and I didn't want to do these things, you see. Well, and my time was valuable. You know, in the wilderness, it'll be a different story because some of these things you just won't be able to find. You won't be able to find somebody to work on it. You won't, may not have the money to work on it. You know? And in those days, I had plenty of money, but I wouldn't spend it. I just wouldn't spend it. I, I, I considered myself a... Um, uh, uh, I, I considered that what I made, I wanted to use it for a good purpose. I wanted it to uh, meet the kingdom's needs, you know, and I gave a lot to the kingdom. And I just didn't want to spend any money on the car. And I've been that way ever since. I, actually, I didn't have never wanted to spend any money on vehicles or things like that. So, so I just commanded that transmission to be healed in the name of Jesus. And and it went on flipping for a while. And, of course, your mind is telling you, hey, if you keep letting it slip like that, you're going to have to change out the clutches and all the other things, you know, that normally go bad when it starts slipping. But I just ignored it. I just kept on going. And uh, gradually, as I held fast my confession, that, Transmission got better and better until never had any more problems with it. And, uh, you know, the times, the times when the Lord was teaching me these lessons and I got in the flesh to do things myself, nothing worked out right. For instance, I told you about one time that the, the insurance money came and I bought a new wagon. I bought a Chevrolet station wagon. And, um, you know, I, I watched a lot of advertisements of, of, of Slick 50, how that you could actually put it in an engine and, and run it in there a while to, and, and dump the oil out, and it would run. And I was impressed with that. I thought, wow, that'll, that'll keep my engine. It'll make it last a long, long time. But you know what? I already had a God that would keep my engine and make it last a long, long time. And he's a jealous God. He really wanted me to put my trust in him. So you know what I did? I put that Slick 50 in there, and they actually tell you not to put it in there, you know, unless you got forty, fifty thousand miles on the car. Well, I stuck it in there a little early, you know. And uh, they warned you that you can break some rings doing that. You see, so I had to go on an evangel. Uh, actually, I had to go on a teaching over in Texas. I lived here in Florida. And I had to go to a teaching over there, and uh, <clears throat> all of my family was in the car, and we took off down the road. And before I got very far down the road, uh, the car just started pouring smoke out the tailpipe. Look in the rearview mirror, and it was just solid smoke back there. And I said, what in the world has happened to my new car, you know? And, uh, you know, I checked the normal stuff, the PCV and, and so on, things like that. 
found that there was nothing wrong there, and the only thing I determined was I must have broken rings, like they said I might do if I put it in an engine that didn't have extra clearance in it, you see. So I was pouring, I'd go a few miles down the road and pour another quart in it, and go a few miles pour another quart in it. And uh, so I decided, well, I'm going to pray over this engine. Lord, forgive me for getting in the flesh, and I'm going to trust you to keep this engine. I'm going to pray over this engine. So I prayed over the engine, and I commanded it to be healed in the name of Jesus. I don't know where I got into the terminology of, of calling it healed, because I prayed over vehicles and cars and refrigerators and, and washing machines and things like that, and I would always just I called it healing. It was just something that kind of stuck with me. I don't know. But... um. So I prayed over that engine and commanded it to be healed in the name of Jesus. You know, it ain't the terminology, folks. <laughs> Your theology might be a little bit wrong, but the Lord knows what you're doing. You know, he's not hes not uh, a real stickler for, for uh, terms, you know. Well, anyway, as soon as I prayed over that engine I, and I got in the car and took off down the road, well, I put, I think, one more quart in that car. It was a lot further down the road. I think I put one more quart in that car. And after that, I never put another quart in that car. God sealed those rings up or, or repaired the broken rings or whatever, but I never put another quart in that car. And um, didn't have much trouble with that car for many, many years. I had a water pump go out on it one time when me and my wife were out there. She cranked the car up, and the water was just pouring out on the ground. And um, I asked her to get out of the car. and come lay hands on the hood with me, and we laid hands on the hood, and we commanded that water pump to stop in the name of Jesus. And you know that water pump seal sealed right up. And we drove on off. Had lots of miracles like that. But you know what? You never think about that. The first thing that comes to your mind is, well, I've got a warranty on this car, or uh, I've got enough money to go get a mechanic to do it, or whatever, you know. But um, I, I was... I wanted to stay in the wilderness. I wanted to stay there because I wanted to learn those lessons that one day everybody's going to have to learn. I wanted to learn them. And so I would take every opportunity to stay in the wilderness. You know, the Israelites, they, they wanted to go back to Egypt. Whenever they came into a place of lack or a place where there was a curse, they wanted to run back to Egypt. But I wanted to stay out there. I wanted to learn. I wanted to see God do these things. God put it in my heart. Besides that, God told me. He said, I'm bringing you through a wilderness so you can tell my people that I still supply there. And uh, I treasured these things. Some people would call them terrible tribulation, but I treasured them. You know, I, uh, I enjoyed seeing God do these things. Um, I was telling you about my washing machine. I remember one time that, <clears throat> actually, that was after we moved over here to Florida, that my washing machine started leaking out on the ground, you know. And um, Mary came and told me, she says, oh, the seal on the washer, the pump is uh, leaking out on the ground. Well, I'm going to go pray for it. So I went and prayed for it, commanded it to be healed, and sopped up the water and came back out of there and told her to go ahead and wash. Well. You know, she went and washed, and, and um, it didn't leak any more water. And in about a few weeks later, she said, that thing's leaking again. So I went in there and did the same thing. And again, it went for a few weeks. 
And she said it to me again. She says, David, that thing's leaking again. I said, no, it's not. I said, it's not leaking. That thing is healed. It's okay. It's fine. Just wash. Don't worry about it. Because I didn't think that we really need, I need, I, I didn't want to back up on what I had spoken, you see. I wanted to keep my trust in the Lord. And sure enough, it's sealed up. You know, and uh, I share with my wife, I says, don't, when you see, if you see it leak, don't confess it. Just thank God that it's not leaking, that it's fixed, and so on and so forth. And it, and it, I kept that washing machine until somebody gave me another washing machine, you know. It was in a lot newer, you know. Um, and I remember one time when we were back in Louisiana, when my two young sons were, were, were playing in the, in the living room, and um, I was sitting there studying, and my wife came and she says, that washing machine won't run. She said, it won't even come on. And so I just kept on studying. I said, well, Corbin and Nathan, y'all go back there and lay hands on that washing machine and just command it to run in the name of Jesus. It'll run. And you know, they went back there and they laid hands on that thing and they commanded it to run and it took off. <laughs> my boys, my children, not just my boys, my children, I would tell them to lay hands on this, lay hands on that. And they got to see the power of God. They got to see their simple childlike faith. You know, I, I got to where I could, I would really trust in their faith. They, they had awesome, my children had awesome faith. Children always will have awesome faith. If you teach them about God and you show them the truths in the Bible, they will have awesome faith. And, um, I remember one time that, um, we had a lawnmower that we had pulled out after a winter and we were going to cut the grass in the early spring, and uh, I pulled and pulled and pulled on this lawnmower, and my boys were standing around looking at me. They were real young at the time. So I pulled the, the spark plug wire off and put it alongside the, the block and pulled it, and there was no spark. By this time, I was sweating and tired, and I wanted to get it over with, and I called my boys over there. I said, let's pray for this thing. Let's command it to run in the name of Jesus. I don't care if it's got spark or not. <laughs> I just want it to run. So so my boys came over and laid hands on the lawnmower, and I played hands on it with them. And I said, commanded it to run in the name of Jesus. And uh, cranked it up and cut the cut the lawn. Don't know if it had spark or not. It didn't make any difference. It, it, we just had to run, you know. You know, the Lord told us if we speak to a mountain and don't doubt that what we say will come to pass, that we'll have what we say. And I tell you what, teach your children because in a lot of ways they got more faith than you do, you know, because you just tell them something, they believe you. They believe you. I mean, it's the way we ought to be with God, you know, except you become as a child, you won't enter the kingdom, Jesus said. You know, we, we need to become like a child and just be in, in that childlike faith, just believing in our God that he will do it. And uh, I was telling you about the time I got in the flesh and put the slick 50 in the car one time, but. I remember another time that that my daughter, when she started started working up here locally, and uh, it was her first job, and somebody poured sugar in her gas tank. And uh, so I'm a mechanic. You see, I can I can take off carburetors and fix them. I don't like to do it, but I can do it. But I took her carburetor off of her car, and I tore it all down, and I put a kit in it, and I cleaned it up, put it back together, put it on the car. Car did the same thing. I said, "Now I know I, I know I did that thing right. You know, I 
took it off the car. It wasn't easy either. I took it off the car and tore it back down. You know, cleaned it all up. Used the same parts, cleaned it all up. Was very particular. Looked it over very closely, you know. I knew everything was right. I blew through all the little ports and everything, you know. And uh, put it back on the car. And, and my wife was going to go take the car somewhere. And um, it did the same thing. She cranked it up. It did the exact same thing. It wouldn't run. And I finally perceived, now, you know, this is not natural. This is supernatural. You know, sometimes it's the devil, folks. It's just the devil. Sometimes he's just cursing you. Sometimes there's nothing naturally wrong with something. He can do anything he wants with physical things, you see. And finally I figured out, you know, this is just the devil. So I just told the devil, I said, you get off that carburetor in the name of Jesus. You leave this car in Jesus' name. This car is going to run in Jesus' name. And I told my wife, I said, get in the car and drive it. Go. Just go where you got to go, you know. Well, she cranked it up. It was doing the same thing. <laughs> I said, just go. Just go, you know. You know, she took off down the road. And actually, before she got to the end of the road, out to the main highway, it straightened out perfectly and, and just ran perfect. You know, sometimes you just have to, to act by faith, you know. But I learned that. You know, over the years with uh, with uh, with things that sometimes the devil's just permitted to hinder you. And, uh, you know, I'd prayed over carburetors before, but this one I decided I was going to fix it. I was going to fix it. Now, I'm not saying anything's wrong with you fixing carburetors, but I was going to fix it. I think the Lord just wanted me to speak to that carburetor, but I was going to fix it. It's kind of like the slick 50, you know. But when I did speak the word of faith, God fixed that carburetor. And uh, I'm remembering when a, a good friend of mine uh, actually followed me into the full gospel, and we were going to go go skiing one day, and and uh, we had cranked the car up to hook it up to the boat, and the, and the car started making all kinds of terrible noises. You know, we opened up the hood and found out that the alternator was jumping up and down just the bearings were gone, and it was just jumping up and down. He said, well, what are we going to do? I says, well, I said, um, I, I want to go, go skiing. I said, I'll tell you what we're going to do. We're going to lay hands on this alternator. We're going to command it to be healed in the name of Jesus. And so we did. We put our fingers on that alternator, commanded it to be healed in Jesus' name, and closed the hood, and before we got where we were going, God had fixed that alt that alternator. He'd put new bearings in it because I never had to change them. You know, we're coming to a time, folks, when you may not have alternator bearings to put in something. You may not have um, the protection of insurance of any form. You may not have the provision that the world can give. But I'm telling you that God is bringing us there for the express purpose of proving to us that he's our Savior in all things. Um, I think we're going to just carry on with what we've been talking about, the, the wilderness that's coming, and how can we live in it? How can we be provided for in it? God's got really good plans for us, brethren. Now, don't fear a thing 
God is creating sons through this situation that we're going through now and about to go through. Even the things that are happening now. You know, I live down here in in Pensacola, and um, you can see what's happening along the Gulf. God has basically spread out hurricanes to hit each each area of the the Gulf here. And um, Bob here was pointing out that um, the only place that hasn't been hit recently is way over there in the corner where this one's going. And isn't it amazing, you know, in three weeks to get two hurricanes that were such perfect storms, you know. Both of them are going towards a high sin area. Both of them are going towards a very low area. Um, both of them are, uh, were and are pointed at um, a very high stakes area for the United States because, you know, Katrina hit an awful lot of oil rigs and a lot of refineries. And it's very likely that this storm will do the exact same thing over on the Texas side. I'll tell you what, you might want to think about getting rid of your gas guzzlers. Because <laughs> uh, God is tightening the belt here. Anyway, you know, God, God really cannot fail us. He's made these promises, and he can do anything but fail. But our concern ought to be that, that we don't hinder him with our own works. Because that is a big problem, folks. Now, Jesus said, be it unto you according to your faith. So obviously faith, or lack thereof, will hinder what he really desires to do. And he couldn't do many mighty works in his own hometown because of their unbelief. So unbelief can certainly block God from giving us the benefits that we we should have. Uh, you know, the reason I mentioned works was your works prove whether you got faith or not. And uh, many people are blocking God with their works, uh, attempting to save themselves by their own works. And so they really never get to see God's works. You know, Jesus told his disciples, he said, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Matthew 16 and 6. They understood this to mean that that Jesus was talking about their teaching in verse 12. Uh, their teaching was was so dangerous to the real salvation of God because it was self-works. They had replaced God's works in their life and through them with self-works. And in explaining this, in uh, in Matthew 16, again, Jesus pointed out in verse 9 and 10, he said, Do you not perceive, neither remember, the five loaves of the 5,000, and how many baskets you took up, which was 12, and uh, neither the seven loaves of the 4,000, and how many baskets you took up, which was seven. And if you'll notice, the more loaves that the people provided of their own supply, the less people were fed and the less baskets of leftovers there were. Now, Jesus was obviously making a point here about the the leaven of the Pharisees. And his point was that the more you put in of your own works to save yourself, the less God will put in to save you. 
You know, salvation in any form, brethren, is it's by grace. It's unmerited and it's unearned. And yet many of God's people are attempting to buy their money, buy their methods that they say are now God's methods, uh, seeking to meet that need, and it's 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 doomed to failure, folks. Where we're going, a lot of the methods of the works of man will not sustain. Kind of like leaving Egypt, where the methods of man are permitted to work, but in the wilderness, they're not permitted to work. We're going to a place where all the methods that we've had that are from the world are not going to work anymore. And Jesus was making this point to the extent. You trust in God and let him do the work, he'll do it. But to the extent you're trying to do it yourself, uh, it's doomed to failure. The Bible says, for by grace have you been saved through faith. And that's not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works, that no man should glory. See, God is very careful. He doesn't want to share his glory with anybody else. Men get the credit when men do the work, and when men's ingenuity is involved, men get the credit. But God has designed a way where man can get no credit. You know, I'm applying this word saved here in a much broader way. This is by grace have you been saved through faith, and that's not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works, meaning your works, so that no man should glory. The word saved here is translated from the Greek word sozo, and it's used in Luke 7 and 50 for the saving of the soul. It's used in places like Luke 8 and 48, where it's translated, made thee whole. It's used for the healing of the body. And in places like Luke 8 and 36, it's translated, made whole for the deliverance of demons. See, Sozo covers a very broad territory here. Matter of fact, what I'm going to show you is it covers everything, every benefit that the Lord gave to you at the cross. You know, in um, in Matthew 8 and 25 is an example where the Lord uses it uh, of saving the disciples for with, by protecting them from danger. You know, like the boat was sinking, you know. They said, save, Lord. We, we see that saved covers every curse. And it's not of works. Jesus became a curse for us so that we might have the blessing of Abraham, Galatians 3 and 13 and 14 says. This all-inclusive curse of Deuteronomy 28 uh, was put upon Jesus. You read Deuteronomy 28 when you get a chance. We don't have time to do it tonight, but Basically, everything detrimental that ever happened to man because man went his own way and did his own thing is listed there. And Jesus bore that curse upon himself. And I'll remind you again, Ephesians 2 and 8 says that by grace have you been saved. You know, since we have been saved, uh, there's not much we can do to add to what God has already accomplished except walk by faith so that it is accomplished. You know, the wilderness is a completely safe and secure place for believers. It really is. Because everything has already been provided there. Everything. Just like God provided for the Israelites. The only thing he really desired of them is faith in his promises. 
And our faith in his promises is the very substance that the desire that the desired need is made from. Uh, Hebrews 11 and 1 says, Now faith is assurance or substance of the things hoped for, a conviction of things not seen. The reason Jesus said, All things whatsoever you pray and ask for, believe that you received them and you shall have them. Mark 11 and 24. Received here is the Greek word. Believe that you received them, past tense. Notice all the places in the Bible where God uses past tense concerning his provision for our needs and in his deliverance of our curses. He said here, all things whatsoever you pray and ask for, believe that you received them, past tense. You know why? Because it was all accomplished at the cross. You know, thinking about some other verses here about this past tense sacrificial provision. We mentioned Ephesians 2 and 8, by grace, have you been saved through faith? 1 Peter 2.24, who his own self bear our sins in his body, past tense. Uh, the rest of it is by whose stripes you were healed, past tense. It's already been accomplished, folks. Your healing's already been accomplished. Your sins have already been taken away. It's not by works. It's not by self-effort. It's by faith that God lets your faith stand in temporarily um, as the substance of the thing hoped for until he brings it to pass. Colossians 1 and 13 says, Who delivered us, past tense, out of the power of darkness. Many people are anxious and troubled about being delivered from their past curses, the family curses that have been passed on down to them, or demonic oppression in their life, possession in their life. But you see, we've already been delivered. And he translated us into the kingdom of the Son of his love. You know, we don't have to, through self-effort, strive to enter in to his kingdom. We have to strive through faith to enter into his kingdom. Faith will give us the obedience that we need to enter into his kingdom. And uh, who reconciled us unto himself? 2 Corinthians 5 and 18. Reconciled us. The word reconciled means exchanged us unto himself. God made an exchange through Jesus Christ. His life for our life. Literally, we were crucified with Christ, and we don't live anymore. He now lives in us by faith. So reconciliation has been made, and God is constantly bringing this reconciliation to pass through our faith in him. He's giving us the blessings of Christ. He's giving us the spotless purity of Christ. And he's taking away, as we walk by faith, our old sinful life and our cursings that we've lived under. See, it's not by self-effort. It's by faith in Jesus and what he already accomplished for us. I mentioned Galatians 2 and 20. He said, I have been crucified with Christ. See, you don't have a problem. Many people preach... Um, a lot. They emphasize a lot that we've got to die. We've got to die. Well, here's the way to die. I have been crucified with Christ. You accept 
this free gift of crucifixion with Christ. And God brings it to pass. And he goes on to say, and it's no longer I that live, but Christ that liveth in me. Another confession of faith. I have been crucified, and Jesus now lives in me. And Galatians 3 and 13, of course, Christ redeemed us from the curse, having become a curse for us, right? Or 1 Peter 1 and 3, where it says, The Father begat us again by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Begat, past tense. Or Hebrews 10 and 10. We have been sanctified. Or verse 14. He hath perfected them that are sanctified. Notice all the past tense here. Ephesians 1 and 3. Who hath blessed us, hath blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. And Second Peter 1 and 3. God hath granted unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness. Hath granted. And Jesus told us in his day, which is, of course, in our past, that now shall the prince of this world be cast out. That's John chapter 12, verse 31. To be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. John 16 and 33. Or it is finished. John 19 and 30. Now this is the reason that we are to believe that we received, past tense, is because everything was accomplished at the cross. You know, it really um, puts out our works from being of any benefit because the Lord has already done this. He's already given it to us. That's why we are to believe we have received. All things whatsoever you pray and ask for, believe that ye receive it. Why? All things whatsoever was given us at the cross already. It's ours. It's a free gift. It's not like you have to talk God into it. Healing or deliverance or provision or protection or sanctification. You don't have to talk God into it. You have to believe you received whatever you ask because God already took care of it. And that's why Paul said, My God shall supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Every need of yours. And it's because it's already been accomplished. It's already been paid for. You know, redemption from the curse and provision for life is truly accomplished at the cross. In fact, God's works were finished from the foundation of the world, Hebrews 4 and 3 says. That was when he spoke the plan into existence. The only thing left is for the true sons of God to enter into those works by faith, believing they have received. Since the works were finished, we should believe and rest from our own works. We can't save or heal or deliver ourselves, but we can exercise faith in those promises so that it does come to pass. This is the rest in the wilderness on the grounds of God's promises that God expected of the Israelites. In Hebrews 4 and 3 it says, For we who have believed do enter into that rest. When you believe these past tense promises, what do you do? When you believe that you have been saved, were healed, were translated, have been crucified, 
have been redeemed, have perfected, have been sanctified, have been blessed in all things. When you believe this, what can you do to bring it to pass? If you believe that it's been done, what can you do to bring it to pass? If you do do something to bring it to pass in yourself, what you're saying is, I don't believe it's been accomplished. You know, I've tested this out for many, many years. And I know it works. And I know it works consistently. I also know that to the extent I've added to the works of God seeking to bring something to pass, that it's kind of like what Jesus said, don't you perceive? Neither remember the five loaves of the 5,000 and how many baskets you took up? Neither the seven loaves of the 4,000 and how many baskets you took up? Whenever I put in, God hadn't. God's power is made perfect in weakness. We who have believed do enter into that rest. That is a spiritual Sabbath rest. Hebrews 4 and 9 says, There remaineth therefore a Sabbath rest. The word there is a Sabbatismos, or a keeping of rest. See, we keep rest. It's not a one-day rest like it was in the Old Covenant, folks. Never in the New Testament is it ordained to be that, or spoken to be that. Our rest is, that's just a type and a shadow of the rest that we enter into consistently. That's why it commands here, there remaineth therefore a Sabbath rest for the people of God. And it's a, a Sabbatismos, a keeping of rest, continual rest. This constant keeping of rest every day through these past tense promises is our New Testament spiritual Sabbath. For he that has entered into his rest has himself also rested from his works as God did from his. And the rest is to believe in these promises, to accept them, to hold fast to them. The Bible says in, in Hebrews 4 and 1, Let us fear, therefore, lest happily a promise being left of entering into his rest, any one of you should seem to have come short of it. A promise being left of entering into in other words, don't even leave out one promise that would cause you to enter into this rest, which is what? Ceasing from your own works. You know, many of God's people are dead today because they wouldn't cease from their own self-efforts to save themselves. You know, Hebrews 4 and 2 went on to say, For indeed we have had good tidings preached unto us, even as also they. But the word of hearing did not profit them because it was not united with faith in them that heard. God has designed this thing as salvation by grace. The unmerited, unearned favor of God towards those that believe. You see, folks, we're going to a very dry place, a place where man will not provide our needs, but God will, through these promises, consistently provide our needs. You know, uh, for many years, oh, I guess about 33 years now, uh, I, I, I've raised five kids, and uh, God has consistently healed our bodies. He's consistently delivered us from demonic oppression. He's consistently He's been very, very consistent the whole time I was raising my children. Of course, when they got out in the world, uh, some of them decided to go their own way, and um, they'll have to learn their own lessons. But um, 
But while they were under my authority and headship and my wife, God consistently healed, delivered, provided, you know, all these things. Because I learned this lesson way back in the beginning of my Christian walk, that uh, when I exercise faith in these promises, God comes forth. He not only works in me to will and to do of his good pleasure, but he brings forth that which is promised. You know, I had a, a lady back before I moved here some years ago over in Louisiana. Her name was Priscilla. And um, Priscilla contacted me one day. Priscilla was a, a lady preacher. She had traveled all over the country, and uh, but she was in a desperate need. Uh, Priscilla began to tell me her story. She said, she said, David, I've traveled all over the country, and I've gone here, and I've gone there. I've got two very large inoperable tumors, and uh, the doctors say if they operated on me, they would kill me. So I went to so-and-so and so-and-so and so-and-so, all these faith preachers, you know, that are known for laying hands on the sick and so on and so forth. And she said, David, I just don't understand it, why I haven't been healed. And I said to her, I said, Priscilla, so you just told me why you haven't been healed. You're expecting something to come. And don't you know tomorrow never comes? It's a procrastination when you believe God's going to do something, but you don't believe the true gospel. And the true gospel is that God's already done it. You know, a lot of people have this understanding. One day, God will heal me. No, God already healed you. God already delivered you. God already provided for you. It's already done. It's a sure thing. That's why we have we can have such faith in the Lord. It's not a matter of us talking him into it. It's a matter of us accepting this free gift he's already given us. And I told Priscilla, I said, Priscilla, you've been looking in the wrong direction. You're looking forward. You need to turn around and look back. That's where God healed you. By the stripes of Jesus, you were healed. That's the gospel you must believe. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes it. The good news is not that Jesus will heal you. The good news tells you that he already did heal you. That's the real gospel. And this is also the reason a lot of people are not receiving from God, is they're trying to talk God into it. And, of course, as long as you're trying to talk him into it, you never know whether the answer is yes or no. <laughs> but, you know, 2 Corinthians chapter 1 says all the promises of God are yes, and in him is the amen. You know what that means? It means that everything God has said, he's not going to back up from. He's not a man that he should lie, and he's, he's going to bring it to pass as long as you believe the gospel. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation to the one that believes it. The gospel is that you already received these things as a free gift long before you ever came into existence. They were given to you as a free gift. Be convinced by what the Bible says, not by what it doesn't say. Be convinced. Well, anyway, I've often said, you know, since that time that when I explained this to Priscilla, I could see a light bulb turn on in her head. It was like her eyes just came aglow, you know. And she understood, and I could see she understood. And uh, and I said to her, I said, Priscilla, we're going to pray one more time, and this time you receive this free gift from God because it's yours.
And uh, she agreed. So we prayed, and, and, and as we prayed, as a matter of fact, um, she said, it's gone. She said, I felt them go. She felt the tumors leave her. It was the first time I pointed out to her. I said, Priscilla, this is the first time you believed the gospel. All that other was hope. It wasn't faith. Faith believes you have received. Hope looks forward to the future. Faith is a firm expectation, according, if you look the word up, the biblical word for hope. It's a firm expectation, but it's not a believing you have received. Salvation is by faith. Everybody that has faith has hope. But not everybody that has hope has faith. Because believing you have received is something that only true believers can do. There are many people in the church that are not believers. You know, we need to identify believers the way Jesus identified believers. He said, these signs will accompany them that believe. Believers have the works of God through them. Not their own works. They have the works of God manifested through them because they believe. And I remember another time uh, when I was a very young Christian and my wife and I had just come to the Lord and we'd spent, oh, I don't know, I, I, like I said to you once before, we'd spent about a month or two in uh, in a in a dead church that didn't believe the full gospel, but I was I had been believing the Bible. For some time, I'd been reading the Bible for some time and really believing what I was seeing and trying it out. And God was proving to me that it was still true, that none of it passed away, like these people were saying. And I'd just left this church and gone to a full gospel-type church, and um, <clears throat> my wife was had been injured, you know, through a motorcycle accident, had been injured and, and bruised her kidneys real bad, and so they were... They were um, giving her some antibiotics in order to clear up an infection so that they could operate on her kidneys. And But meantime, we had we called for the elders. We were very young in the Lord. We called for the elders of the church. The elders uh, prayed for her. <clears throat> and I think it was something like a week later after this prayer that... Um, my wife was walking through the house, and she was complaining to the Lord. She said, Lord, I just don't understand. Um, we did what you said. We called for the elders. We prayed the prayer of faith. just don't understand why it's not happening. And the Lord spoke to her. This is the first time the Lord ever spoke to her. She said it was almost audible. She knew the Lord spoke. And he said to her, he said, if you believe that I have healed you, why are you taking all that medicine? Well, you know, it was such a shocking thing that she ran immediately into the bathroom and started pouring the medicine down the commode. And she was healed instantly, standing right there in front of the commode. But, you see, the question was to make her believe the gospel. If you believe that I have healed you, why are you taking all that medicine? Words, why are you trying to heal yourself when I've already told you in the Bible that I healed you. This is the self-effort that I'm speaking about that hinders God from doing what he wants to do. Why? Because self-effort proves you do not believe that this is a free gift that it's already been given to you and that it's not salvation by works. It has nothing to do with your works. 
Now, I know what everybody's going to say. A lot of people are going to say, well, are you saying that God doesn't use doctors in medicine? Well, I'm going there. I'm getting there. I'm going to answer that question. First of all, if God already healed you, he already delivered you, and you believe it, what are your actions going to be like? Just stop and think. Now, the Bible says faith without works is dead. It's incomplete. And James said, I will show you my faith by my works. How do you prove that you believe that you already received this at the cross? It's going to be by your works. It's going to be by works that agree with what you say you believe. Anything else is hypocrisy. You say you believe it. Your actions should agree with it. Well, I learned this is the main reason people don't receive from God. They say they believe what the Bible says, but all their actions prove that they've got to help God out because he's not very he's not very a powerful God. He really hadn't done anything already. We're trying to talk him into it. You know, since we're not talking about something in the future but something in the past, um, we've got to just accept it. Has done. You know, when our children were born, our first child, actually our oldest child, Deborah, she was um, oh, about four when we first came to the Lord. And um, but our next child that came along came along after we came to the Lord, and um, that was Corbin. And you know, we we were so convinced that God had already given us these gifts. And that salvation covered all of this, as the Bible clearly says. You know, uh, he bare our sins in his body, um, that we, having died unto sin, might live unto righteousness, and by whose stripes we are healed. Notice that he always connects salvation with deliverance from sin and deliverance from the curse of sin. So, and it's, you know, Psalm 103 and verse 3, same thing. Who forgiveth all our iniquities and healeth all our diseases. You know, um, God connects salvation for the soul with salvation to the body. And we knew this. I knew this. I knew it was a part of salvation. And I knew it was by grace have you been saved through faith. By grace have you been saved. And that salvation covered all this. I knew this. And uh, so we we decided we were going to ask the Lord, you know, to uh, or we felt like the Lord was convicting us that he wanted us to put our trust in him and to have our children at home, which we did from that day forth. And the first child that came along was um, Corbin. And um, when when Corbin was born, it was an awesome miracle because, I mean, we were trusting God to do this delivery. I didn't know anything about delivering babies. Of course, no nobody delivers babies anyway unless you use forceps. <laughs> That's not God's way, folks. Um, but um, I knew that God was going to deliver this baby just like he'd done for thousands of years and that I was just there to catch. You know, and um, the only thing I ever really studied was how to tie the cord. Somebody gave me a book 
when they decided I was going to do it, my, I was going to uh, um, do it at home. Well, they gave me a book on it, and I thought the first thought came into my mind was, "Are you going to do this, or am I going to do this?" <laughs> I knew the Lord was talking to me, and I says, "The only thing I really actually looked in the book for is how to tie the cord." I didn't know how to tie the cord, so I I saw how they did that and gave the book back to the person that gave it to me. And, um, you know, when it came time, um, Mary went into labor, and um, the first thing that actually appeared was a toe. And I thought, uh-oh, it ain't supposed to work like this. I know that. <laughs> and uh, this little purple toe showed up, you know. So we we knew we had a uh, a breach here. And uh, so we prayed, and we um, committed it to the Lord. And um, literally, I stood there, and I, I pointed at that baby, and I said, in the name of Jesus Christ, come out of there. <laughs> Those people laugh at me when I say that, but and I laugh at myself when I say that, but that's what I did. And uh, do you know that we really didn't realize at the time that this boy not only was breached, he was a footling breach. That was one foot up, one foot down, and upside down. <laughs> and, um, you know, I've talked to several medical people since then. They said, that ain't possible. You know, that just ain't possible. You know, they, they always do a cesarean when they have a situation like that. But I wasn't around anything like that, so I had to trust in God. And, and, and God's power is made perfect in, in our weakness, right? Well, you know, that baby did come out of there. He came out of there as a footling breach. He didn't turn. He didn't straighten up. God just had to, to show us that he could do it. And he did do it. And I'll tell you something else. After Corbin was born, he was very, very yellow because uh, my wife and my blood didn't match. I think they call it a rogam uh problem and they give uh, in, in the hospital they would give you a rogam shot um because of the the blood actually causes blood poisoning in the child and um so he was very deep deep yellow when he was born and um since he was born at home we decided we would call the public health unit to um to see how it was that we got a birth certificate so we did, and um, the nurse that answered said, uh, well, did you just not make it to the hospital in time? We said, no, that wasn't the situation at all. Said, was it just too fast? I said, no, that wasn't the situation either. We planned it. said, oh, we'll send a, we'll send a nurse out to, uh, to do the certificate. And so they did. They sent a nurse out. As soon as the nurse got a look at Corbin, she said, Mr. Eels, you've got to rush this baby to the hospital. This baby's got blood poisoning, and he's going to die without a transfusion. And I told this lady, I, you know, I'm not talking about peer pressure here, folks. I know. I've heard the horror stories out there of people that did it because their church did it, you know, or uh, did it because of peer pressure, you know. It was expected of them to be accepted in their religion or whatever, you know. I, I understand that that's, that's not the way of faith, and, and God's not in it. 
and it's doomed to failure. I understand that. You, you don't want to get the cart before the horse, do you, right? It's not works before faith. It's faith before works. And um, so I just told this nurse, she was a Catholic lady. We talked to her for a few minutes. I told her, I said, ma'am, uh, Corbin is healed. I said, um, uh, he'll be just fine. Don't you worry. And I quoted a few verses to her, you know, and she went away. But uh, I could tell she wasn't convinced. And she came back in a little while and knocked on the door again. I thought, uh-oh, <laughs> wonder what, what's going on here. You know, I always thought she might be going to do something legal or whatever, you know. So, um, well, when she came back, you know what? Corbin, Corbin's skin was just like my skin. Now, same color. All the yellow had gone. This, this uh, little Catholic lady was astounded. She said, that just doesn't happen without a uh, uh, transfusion. And I said, well, you're looking at it. And I didn't say I told you so, but she knew it. And, um, you know, the year after that, we had Nathan. And Nathan was um, two months premature. It wasn't like when you trust God, you always get out of a trial and everything goes real smoothly, you know. Uh, we we had trials just about every time. But you know what? God showed us that there was no problem in which he couldn't save us. And Nathan was was very premature, very, very preemie, very, very small. And, you know, we prayed over him, and I tell you what, he never looked back. He just started growing and growing. He was little and he was cool, and we put him in his bed and pulled a light bulb down over him to keep him warm. And the boy never slowed down. He started out growing children that were born full weight at the same time he was born. And you know what? That same, when we called up the public health place, they sent the same nurse out, and she brought company with her, another nurse. And... Um, as soon as they came in the door, she said, Oh, Mr. Eels, can I show her the baby that was born last year? She said, Sure. So, so she went in there and I could hear her talking to that, this other nurse, you know, I said, Now, this is the baby I was telling you about. You know, this is the baby. This is the miracle, you know. And, uh, they went in and looked at Nathan, but you know what? This, this lady had gotten some faith in her because she wasn't worried about, this Nathan was very, very small. I mean, he was like four pounds, you know, just a little bitty thing. But she wasn't a bit worried about him. I mean, she she had gotten some faith. She, I don't know what happened to the lady, but that first happening did something to this little Catholic lady, you know. Well, you know, why I wasn't, the reason I wasn't worried is I knew it was already done. It, I didn't have to convince God. If you if you think you have to convince God, then you're walking by sight to see if God's answered. But you know what? When you walk by faith, you know he's already answered. And that's a moot point. Many people spend all of their spiritual energy trying to convince God to do something that he's already said he's done. I said I'd answer that question about the God using doctors and medicine. And I want to point out something to you from the scriptures. You know, they, they call Jesus the, the great physician, which nothing could be further from the truth because of a physician is a, is a doctor of medicine. He's legally qualified to practice medicine, and uh, Jesus never touched medicine. 
So you couldn't call him the great physician. That's just a sorry translation of the word iatros, which simply means, if you look it up, healer, or iomea, which means healed or made whole, iomea. Now, Jesus was the great healer, but he never practiced medicine because he didn't use the methods and the things of the world. He just used the spoken word. He commanded it done, and it was done. Some people say, well, what about Luke? Luke was called the beloved physician. Again, the word there has nothing to do with physician. Nothing to do with physician. It has to do with the word iatros, healer. Now, Luke was a healer, all right. He was a healer in the same way Jesus was a healer. It's the same word, as a matter of fact. You know, Luke traveled with um, with Paul a lot in the book of Acts. And um, wherever they went, they were healings. But there is absolutely no place in the Bible that Luke used any physician skills. Okay. The word is simply healer. Now, there is another term that's used in the scriptures. And um, the word has been translated um, sorcerer. It's the word pharmakos or pharmakia. And um, it, it does involve the use of medicine. It's where we get our word for pharmacy. Now, a pharmacist doesn't generally practice pharmakos. He, uh, he usually just sells the drugs, right? But the physician is legally qualified to practice pharmakia. That is healing through the use of drugs. And um, in the Bible, there is nothing good to say about pharmacos or pharmakia. Uh, if you look in Galatians chapter 5 and verse 20, it says it's a work of the flesh. It's translated sorcery there, but it's the word pharmakia. So it's the work of the flesh. In Revelation 9 and 21, it said, And the people repented not of their pharmakia. God was demanding that they repent of it. Do you know in Jesus' day, the disciples all repented of pharmakia. They walked by faith. The righteous shall live from faith. They spoke the word of faith. And God healed, and God delivered, and God did miracles. And once again, we're coming back to our own book of Acts, where God once again is going to demand that people who have knowledge of what the Word actually says begin to walk in it. And, he, you know, uh, there, it will be accounted unto them because of knowledge. To him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. It will be accounted unto them as something that the righteous need to walk in faith in. And... uh Revelation 18 and 23, it says that um, the harlot deceived the whole earth with her pharmakia. Interesting, pharmakia. It's a deception. You know, people are deceived into thinking that now God has changed. Now he needs help. He doesn't have the power he once had to heal the sick. He doesn't do it by faith. Let me ask you this. The Bible says, the Bible strives to Jesus, you were healed. If you were healed, why are you trying to heal yourself? Why are you running to the doctors and the medicine? 
Listen, this is not something I haven't proven, folks. We've had every kind of miracle you can think of almost. Many miracles. Bones broken, I'm telling you. Uh, 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 blindness healed. Um, heart, you know, um, cardiovascular problems, you know, with um, clotting and all that. Um, uh, diabetes, uh, childhood diseases. We've had all these things. And I can tell you, God consistently heals today like he did back then if you believe what you read in the book. See, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He doesn't need your help. Your help gets in his way. Your help proves you don't believe the gospel, the very good news. The gospel is the good news. The very good news that God has already done all of this for you. And that good news is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. See, there are a lot of Christians that don't believe. Lots of Christians that aren't believers according to the Scriptures. Let me point something out to you in First uh, Corinthians chapter 1. And it says here that, that God chose the things that are not, that he might bring to naught the things that are so that no flesh should glory before God. Did you, have you heard that before? Yeah, Ephesians 2 and 8, right? By grace have you been saved through faith. That's not of yourselves, a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. See, God is very careful. He doesn't want us to be able to take credit. See, when you speak a word of faith or you pray and you believe you have received, who's going to get credit for that? Only God. It comes supernaturally. This is how God is going to provide for his people in the wilderness, folks. They're going to enter into the rest. They're going to trust God. It says here, God chose the things that are not. 1 Corinthians 1 and 28. That he might bring to naught the things that are. The things that are not are all those promises I mentioned to you earlier. You have been saved. You were healed. You bear your sins. He reconciled you. You have been crucified. You have been redeemed. You have been perfected, etc., etc., etc. He delivered you out of the power of darkness. Those things are not in the physical realm. But God chose to use those things that are not, that he might bring to naught or to nothing the things that are. And the things that are is the curse all around us. The sickness, the demonic possession, the curses upon mankind. The Lord already took care of this, folks. He says so in his word. We need to believe exactly what he says without adding to it and without taking away from it, which, of course, he said is accursed in the last five verses of the book, right? So, God chose the things that are not to bring to nothing the things that are. He chose just these promises, folks. Listen, folks, a doctor is not a thing that is not, and medicine is not a thing that is not. Psychiatry is not a thing that is not. The things that men generally run to for salvation are things that are. But God chose the things that are not for a very good reason, so that no flesh should glory before God. Uh, read you another verse. Colossians 1 and 3 says, 
If then you were raised together with Christ, there it is again, were raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is. Now the Bible says, Jesus taught us to pray, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Is there any sickness in heaven? How about demonic possession? How about sin ruling your life? He said, if if you were raised together with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated on the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things that are above, not on the things that are upon the earth. For you died. There it is again, past tense. You died, and your life is hid with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is our life, shall be manifested, that's in the physical realm, right? Then shall you also with him be manifested in glory. I'll read you another one. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 16. Wherefore we faint not, but though our outward man is decaying, yet our inward man is renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is for the moment, worketh for us more and more exceedingly an eternal weight of glory. Listen. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. The glory of God is manifested in us while we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal. They are temporary. But the things which are not seen are eternal. What God has given to us is eternal. How is it that we use the things that are not to bring to naught the things that are? Now, God says in Romans 4 and 7 that he chose, the, that he calls the things that be not as though they were. We just speak them as done. We just command them as done. We claim them as done. And we don't put our trust in the arm of the flesh. You know, the Bible says, Cursed is the man that trusts in man and maketh the flesh his arm, whose heart departs from the Lord. When you trust in the arm of the flesh, you're trusting in what man can do, the strength of man, man's power. That's a heart that departs from the Lord. I'll read you this, too, in uh, 2 Chronicles 16, verse 7. At that time, Hananiah the seer came to Asa, king of Judah, and said unto him, Because thou hast relied on the king of Syria, and hast not relied on the Lord thy God, that's the arm of the flesh, right? Therefore is the host of the king of Syria escaped out of thy hand. God was going to give him a great victory. They trusted in the arm of the flesh. They became cursed because of that trust in man. Were not the Ethiopians and the Lubim a huge host with chariots and horsemen exceedingly many? Yet because thou didst rely on the Lord, he delivered them into thy hand. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong in behalf of them whose heart is perfect towards him. Herein thou hast done foolishly. From henceforth thou shalt have wars. In other words, since you trusted in the arm of the flesh, not only are you not going to conquer your enemies, you're going to continue to have wars. Then it goes on to talk uh, about King Asa. Verse 12. 
And in the thirty and ninth year of his reign, Asa was diseased in his feet. His disease was exceedingly great. Yet in his disease he sought not to the Lord, but to the physicians. And Asa slept with his fathers and died in the one and fortieth year of his reign. And they buried him in his own sepulcher, which he had hewn out for himself. In other words, he dug his own grave. He dug his own grave because he put his trust in the physicians and not in the Lord in his sickness. You know what the leading cause of death is? Physicians and medicine. You know, the uh, Journal of the American Medical Association, I read in it five or six years ago, they said 250,000 a year die of what they called iatropic causes. Iatrope just happens to be the same word we're looking at in the Bible. It means death at the hands of the healer and death at the hands of the drugs. Both my mom and my dad died this way. Before I even knew the Lord, they died because of drugs that had bad side effects and um, was killing them somewhere else that they didn't they didn't know about. My dad was taking a drug to put oxygen into his bloodstream because he'd lost part of a lung and um, had a massive heart attack because of that drug. And my mom had been taking a drug that was supposed to be helping her with a psychiatric problem, and she discovered that the side effect was um, breast cancer and glaucoma, and she had them both. She read in a Reader's Digest, Side Effects of Medicine, what the side effects was of those drugs, and, and she had both of those. And many people are dying. Many more than 250,000. I can tell you that's a bold-faced lie. Multitudes of people are dying because they don't trust in the Lord and receive his gifts. For information, materials, and to contribute, go to unleavenedbreadministries.org. Contributions only may be addressed to David Eels, Post Office Box 231616, Montgomery, Alabama, 36123. Though the mountains fall into the sea, though the rivers rise, I still believe. Oh, your mercy stands and your word is true, oh Jesus, I trust in you. And when I face that darkest night, what will Shining rays of red and white Jesus, I trust in you Sacred heart in you I find Mercy seated for all time I am yours and you are mine Oh Jesus, I trust in you Though the mountains fall into the sea Though the rivers rise 
Jesus. 